Hey, yo, yo, welcome to the How to Write a Novel Podcast. Almost a week down, motherfuckers. Man, I'm caffeinated today. So, uh, Tim Hortons is, you know, big time coffee chain in Canada. They do this thing everybody loves, roll up the rim to win, which is just, you roll up the rim of your coffee cup and maybe you'll win another coffee. I don't know, man. People are just so like, oh, I might win a thing. Holy shit, I'm gonna stand in line for ages because I could get a free thing. I don't know, all this dumb shit. It's almost like a pain, I find. Like, I'd rather just pay for a coffee, (laughs) you know? It's like, now I gotta go in and hand over a little piece of cardboard that I tore off of my coffee cup so I can get a free coffee. It just feels like a... Like I'm a pauper from the 30s, like, please, uh, thank you, please, can I have a free coffee? Unpleasant. However, what's awesome is that McDonald's has been fighting hard to take down Tim Hortons in Canada. Like the battle has been going on strong for a couple of years where it's like really obvious that every time Tim Hortons does something, McDonald's, they sort of have their little McCafe thing going on now. And you can really see the one-to-one. It's like, oh, you're gonna do that, then we're gonna do this. You're gonna charge that, then we're gonna charge this. And it's nice, because I am, been a Tim Hortons fan my whole life, just because I'm a Canadian idiot, so it's hard not to be. But I don't really care. I don't really care about coffee quality, you know? Unless coffee's really bad, But even in those cases, then I just put some sugar in. I usually don't put sugar in my coffee, but you can rescue bad coffee with sugar. So I just like, I just, I don't care, whatever. Just give me some coffee. So not coincidentally, as soon as the roll up the rim to win fucking thing started, McDonald's countered with a, hey, just get any coffee you want of any size for a dollar. Fuck it, fuck Tim Hortons. That's what it should have been called, the fuck Tim Hortons promotion. And I usually tend toward smaller coffees. One thing I liked a lot about Europe was that their coffee sizes are so much more reasonable. Like what we call, this is not an exaggeration, what we call a small coffee, they call a large coffee. Because our small disappeared. What used to be our medium is now the small, and then an extra large appeared at the upper end. So we've actually gone up two sizes. So it's crazy, that's what I got right now. I wonder, I guess this must be 20? This might be more than 20 ounces. It's really big. And I had one this morning, and now it's early afternoon and I'm having another one. So so not only is it, and that's the thing too, North America is so crazy about coffee. We consider this two coffee. But each one of these coffees is for coffee, you know, (laughs) by the standards of the civilized world. It's fucking insane how North America deals with caffeine. So I'm going to see how uh, this works for me today. This might be way too much. This might be completely absurd. Because I don't know, I've got a a push-pull, a little bit of a love-hate with coffee, but it seems like I'm just kind of defaulting to not fighting against coffee. I've had times when I have quit coffee, been on various little health kicks and experiments, and and uh, I guess it's just it didn't seem like enough of a benefit. And uh, I know this guy Ian from uh, 
England who uh, he said that he gave up coffee for I think it was like six months and then when he started drinking coffee again he was just like never again you know all that is just why why was I struggling to do that it wasn't worth it just drink some coffee and really I guess the main thing about coffee is I've always had trouble sleeping so obviously you don't want to drink caffeine all day can't make it easier to sleep but it didn't really seem like the coffee made that much of a difference the thing that has helped by far I mean exercise definitely helps to uh, just be more naturally tired at the end of the day and I mean it's just seems truly bizarre that I never got involved at all in exercise besides walking till my mid-30s but that's just the world we're in you can literally just even though your whole body has been designed for hundreds of thousands of years to be active every day but we're in that world now where you can just not you can just not do that and you can think that that's okay <laughs> you know you can think that like oh it's just the choice I'm making I'm just gonna be sedentary that's not a choice you're allowed to make that doesn't make sense you're lying to yourself that's insane and it's like upsetting that I grew up in this world. This just makes me disdainful more so about modern society. It's like, you really let this happen? You let me just live in this world and grow up? We're all just doing this? We're all just reinforcing this idea in each other that physical exertion is optional? That's fucking gross and wrong. And <laughs> no wonder everyone's fucking crazy. No wonder everyone's depressed. No wonder everyone has OCD. No wonder no one can sleep. I mean, Jesus, it just seems so goddamn obvious now. So that definitely helped. And uh, additionally, this really helped like crazy, is there's this program that I recommend for everyone. It's called Flux, F-L-U-X. And it's just a little program you install on your computer and it uh, figures out what part of the world you're in. And as the day progresses, as the sun goes down, it just slowly starts pulling the blue out of your computer monitor. Because blue light is the same wavelength as the sun. And it triggers all kinds of shit in your brain because your brain thinks it's daytime that keeps you awake and it's radically effective it has it's like shocking to me how much it it works like our bodies are so like soft you know so easy to manipulate and so easy to change and it does make complete sense like for a hundred thousand years we just went to sleep when it was nighttime and we woke up and it was daytime and then with the advent of artificial light things got crazy and then with computers it's double crazy so if i just turn off the light in my room so it's actually dark when it's supposed to be dark and then i don't even need to stop using the computer i can keep using the computer but it just slowly turns like orange and it's like a nice incandescent candle look and you don't even really notice because it just shifts subtly and your mind just kind of compensates. It's hard to really notice that the blue colors are missing. And unless you're doing, you know, color sensitive Photoshop work, it just doesn't matter. 
And then I find that, you know, once it hits, it's getting to be like midnight or one in the morning. And I'm like, fuck, I'm fucking tired. I got to go to bed. And that's like such a beautiful feeling because <laughs> that's not how it usually feels. Normally, if I'd, especially if I just had the lights on and fucking cranking away on my dumb computer, just stay up all night. It's easy to do. And I would be tired and be exhausted, but I just couldn't sleep. I mean, this isn't a guarantee. It doesn't completely fix everything, but it's like a huge improvement. And I can't remember if I ever donated to those developers, but I should, because that program has really, really helped me a lot. So when I listen back to this podcast while I'm editing it, I'm going to go check if I've ever donated money to those Flux guys. And, you know, just toss them 20 bucks, because... They fucking deserve it. That thing rules. So there's my rant about uh, caffeine and sleep troubles. I was wondering, like, if I would be able to maintain a daily podcast like this. And, I mean, granted, it's still only the first week, but I have already gone through, like, three separate ideas for a thing I wanted to talk about today. And I'm like, no, okay, wait, I'll shelve that, and I'll shelve that, and I'll shelve that. Because <laughs> on the way out here... I'm at this one specific park because I think I mentioned but I found this awesome little beach that's very isolated out here and I'm recording a little audio book thing and that's one of the things I will talk about in the future is learning how to record an audiobook is so different from just talking as a podcast or delivering a speech or like surprisingly difficult but on the way here I was watching the third of those new Planet of the Apes movies just on my little phone on the bus ride and uh, I loved that first one I only watched all of them like recently like in the last year last six months even the first one with James Franco where it's just the one ape Caesar who is getting smarter and is realizing he won't fit into human society and is trying to figure out what it means to be an intelligent ape I loved it so much. It's such a great movie. It's just got like so many great little emotional points. And then it has one big action scene at the end where they storm the uh, Golden Gate Bridge, all the other apes that are becoming intelligent. It's just a great movie. It's got little weirdnesses here and there, but overall just a really moving, really engaging, awesome movie. And then I heard various opinions about the two follow-ups, like, oh, maybe the second one's not as good, the third one is better, or whatever, I don't know. I think they both suck hugely. (laughs) The two sequels are terrible. I had such a hard time getting through them, and I finally finished the third one today. (laughs) And, like, when the credits hit, when the screen went black and the credits hit on this third one, suddenly I could see my own reflection in my phone and I just had a sneer on my face (laughs) like like I guess you could make arguments for these movies and like they're very high quality and they have moments but but there's just nothing fucking there like that sneer says it all like there's just I felt like and this is how I feel like with a lot of movies I felt like I was starving like I'm a starving person and I'm just dying for a resonant moment And there's just nothing there. And it really makes me wonder, like, what is it that people watch movies for? What is it that people read stories for? What is it that they're getting out of these things? It seems like it must be different for me because I'm getting nothing out of these things. I am starving. I am a man in the desert. 
And I don't know, it's just like other people don't seem to feel that way or don't seem to notice. They just think all this shit is hunky-dory. Let's just go watch another movie. I don't know, seems okay. And I mean, that's a topic I could unravel forever, but I think a huge part of it, and what I want to talk about today, is that I think action scenes are boring. And these Planet of the Apes movies really do a good job of exemplifying that because the first one has so little action. It is such a character drama. And a character drama based almost entirely on just one person, just focused on this one ape who doesn't even speak for most of the movie. And I just like loved it. Like that's a movie where I feel like I'm being fed. It's like somebody involved in this, someone writing this story, someone making this movie seems to have some sense of the world or some sense of what life is like that resonates with me, that feels something like how the experience of life feels to me. Like I'm watching this thing and it's like a reflection. It reminds me of like, uh, I don't know, like, like when people play with a puppy, you know, and they laugh and they're just sort of delighted by it because it's another consciousness that, that they recognize and that recognizes them. And that's how I felt with that movie too. It's just like, there's something here that just the difficulty of, I mean, it's, you know, universal themes or whatever, of the difficulty of fitting in and what have you. Learning what you are, becoming aware, having to break away from where you grew up, the people you grew up with, because you're not like them. What a great movie. Whereas the second one, it's just a fight scene. <laughs> That's all it is. It's just apes fighting with people and not in a clever way. Like, there are times when action scenes are really good. That fucking movie, uh, Mad Max Fury Road from a few years ago, man, what a good job. Like, that is the exception. Holy shit. Like, the last time I saw it was at my parents' place in this little East Coast Canadian fucking maritime kitchen on a little old TV, surrounded by aging drunks <laughs> chattering away, and it was still great. I'm like, holy fuck, this movie. Like, it goes all in. The action in that movie isn't just a space filler, isn't just a get us from A to B, have some action, isn't just some rote requirement. It is the whole movie. The whole thing is focused so much on that, and it's done so meticulously that it's great. And kind of a stupider example, but one that I do really, really like, is the first Crank movie. Second one got a little too much, but the first one, Jason Statham just running around. The whole thing is he can't stop producing adrenaline or he'll die. <laughs> and he just has to run for the whole movie. Man, fucking great. Like, there's times when action can be great. But in general, it is just so pointless because it's just... It's just meaningless because nothing changes. Nothing is resolved. Nothing is decided. No one's mindset is challenged. No characters come to big decisions based on action scenes. They just never do. It's always like dialogue. It's always interpersonal conflicts that are ideological, not laser sword based. <laughs> you know, like I just, does anybody like fight scenes? Like, there's just so many of them and it's just so common and we've seen so many and they just have no fucking meaning. And in this Planet of the Apes movie, 
Like the part where Koba and the evil apes go against Caesar. Caesar's trying to make peace with the humans and Koba's like, no, fuck that man, these people need to die. So he gathers a bunch of apes to go fight and they don't even fight in an ape-style way. In a gorilla-style way, if you will. Because they're apes, their whole thing is that they can sneak in from anywhere. They can live in the woods, they don't need clothes. They are the ultimate insurgent force. They can climb stuff, they can be sneaky, they're strong. They should have swarmed that human encampment from all sides and just been the ultimate terrorists. But instead they charge just straight at the place. Here's the front doors, we're gonna charge straight into your giant guns and defenses. So lazy, so fucking lazy and boring and dumb and pointless. And then that just calls into question the whole meta of it, of just like, it's very obvious that the people who wrote that first movie did not write the second one, because the first one is so well considered. And every stage of the relationship between Caesar and the greater world is so well reasoned and so well placed. And in the second one, it's like, oh, what if, I don't know, say 200 apes just run straight at this base full of people. It's like a video game level. It's just like a level in Warcraft. It's fucking tower defense. It's so fucking lame and pointless. And then the only kind of small redemption in that movie is at the end, Caesar and whoever the head human guy is have a little moment of just like, ah, oh, we tried, you know, we tried to bridge the gap. We tried to make peace between humans and apes and we failed. And it was a nice little moment and it's like, oh yeah, shit. And this is all going to eventually spiral into the future of the planet of the apes. But that little moment is not enough, man. <laughs> that is one little drop of resonance and meaning when the previous movie had like 80 of those. And what was the replacement? It's just fight scenes. It's so fucking bad. Just, ugh. <laughs> so then the third one is definitely better, but it's just still a lot of uh, just weird, disconnected plot points that are a little tough to follow, and A gets to B to C, but it's not really clear how. And then finally, like halfway through the fucking movie, they meet up with Woody Harrelson, and he has his filibuster speech, which is awesome, where he's like, yeah, yeah, I know you think I'm the bad guy, and I know I raided your base, and I killed your ape kid, and your ape wife, and I killed everybody, and I'm gonna keep killing everybody. Because he reveals there's this new strain of the virus that has made apes intelligent and has killed most of the humans that doesn't kill the humans, it turns them mute and makes them way dumber. And that's super cool because it ties into how the humans are in the original Planet of the Apes movie. And it really justifies what this guy's doing. Like, this is... The struggle for survival is super, super real, where it's like, not only are human beings gonna be extinct and gonna die, which would be, I mean, at least that's a noble sort of death, you know? Is that they're gonna be reduced, they're gonna become the new apes. And he had to, like, he killed his own kid because his kid had this virus, and the rest of the military is not on board with him, but he doesn't care, because he's just like, this needs to happen. Even if I have to turn against everybody, this strain of this virus needs to be stopped. These apes need to be killed. All this needs to stop because this is fucking mental. 
And it's like, awesome, oh, that's such a cool moment. And then later, instead of the big showdown between Woody Harrelson and Caesar, it's revealed that Woody Harrelson caught this thing and he can't speak and he is devolving. And he has just enough wherewithal left to realize what's happening to him. And soon, you know, he won't even have that. He'll just be an ape. And he kills himself, he shoots himself just while he still is able to. And it's like, oh man, tragic, awesome, what good shit. But when you really boil it down, that's it. Those two Woody Harrelson scenes are the only parts of that movie that have any weight to them. There's 10 minutes in that movie that means fucking anything. And the rest of it is just whatever, whatever, man. Let's just have some fights and shit. That one's not as heavy on the fight scenes, but but all the in-between stuff, it just, just none of it fucking meant anything to me. And it's just such a downer. It's like, fuck, man. Why does every fucking movie have to mean nothing? Especially when it started off so strong and it really did mean something and it really was about something and it really it made me feel some feelings. And then after that it's just fucking just the treadmill. I really suspect, I mean I have no idea how the Hollywood system really works, but it's so rigid and so regimented and so institutionalized at this point and there's so much money on the line that it seems like it really is just such a factory that the way I've described how I think it's important to write slowly because every day you're kind of hanging off the cliff and you're kind of staring into the void and every day you've got to solve this crazy abstract puzzle of what should happen next in your story and if you try to go too fast, you'll just fill it up with rote blank stuff. And it's important to face down that struggle over and over and over and come up with something that's distinctly you, that's not just the standard rote answer to the problem. I think because Hollywood has become such a factory, it seems like they have like made it so that they can avoid that moment as much as possible. They can avoid that feeling. Like they've got a system in place where things are just good enough and look slick enough and have that aura of being a quality production that a committee can write a movie script. Or if, you know, the committee didn't write it, the committee certainly vets it, that uh, that moment is clearly never faced up to. Like... It's just so obvious watching movies and you're just like, nobody struggled over this. Nobody really just lived inside these moments and marshaled everything that they know of life and everything that they've learned in order to bring something unique and idiosyncratic to this problem, to this scene, you know? It really does seem like it's just like nobody wants to feel uncomfortable. No one wants to do the hard work of writing. And they've managed to just bring things to such a point, to a level of quality where no one has to. And they'll still come out with a movie at the end of the day that's good enough. That's good enough to grease the fucking machine, to just keep things moving, to sell tickets, to get people going. And it's just been going on for so long that that's all anyone expects and that's all anybody wants. And they can watch, like, you know, these movies that are just fucking garbage, that are just worthless, that shouldn't even have been made. 
and people still say like, yeah, you know what? They're pretty good. Ugh. (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. I hate it. I hate it so fucking much. So they also say that, you know, you shouldn't uh, just criticize if you don't have a better plan, you don't have anything else to offer. Which I don't necessarily agree with. I think that a huge part of writing is to be able to identify what's wrong. I think that's kind of the most important thing. The more you can identify what's wrong, then it's just a matter of time and it's just a matter of coming at it from different angles and a matter of thinking about it and a matter of working with the problem until you come up with something. And then if that doesn't work, give it a little time and you'll realize that that is also wrong. Like, to me, I'll talk about this more later, but I feel like the greatest indicator of if you're, if you have an inborn talent as a writer, isn't the writing part, it's the knowing what parts suck. Because you can't learn that. You just know it or you don't. You have your sense of taste, and if your sense of taste is bad, you're never gonna make something good. It's not gonna happen by accident, you know? So I personally think it is fine to just say, no, not this, even if you don't have a better answer, because the better answer will come eventually. But you need to know that this is the part that's the problem, and this is the part that needs a better answer. But that's a different topic that I'll get into later. So one thing I was thinking about this Planet of the Apes movie that I think would have been really cool, here's the idea I had while I was sitting on the bus, is at the end of this movie, since Woody Harrelson is this side insurgent group, this radicalized group of humans that are extra opposed to apes because they're aware of this new strain of the virus that is turning everyone mute and devolving them, they get attacked by a big wave of the main military. And it's this little battle of like the main military versus the apes versus Woody Harrelson's side group. And the main military cleans the fucking clock of Woody Harrelson's group, partially because Woody Harrelson has died, has killed himself, so he's not there to lead them, partially because This time the apes actually do do some kind of cool, unexpected, ape-type guerrilla attacks. And then at the end, it's this big group of military and Caesar, and he's looking down at them, and they look up at him. And then, I just, this is like, I can't even believe I'm gonna say this, but this is really what happens. A big avalanche happens out of nowhere and it avoids all the apes, and it crushes all the humans. (laughs) It's so shitty. It's deus ex machina to a T. It's like, well, the movie's over. How do we wrap this up? You know what, just have a big landslide happen and let's just kill all the humans. Just bury them. Let's not deal with this. Let's not deal with any of this. It's so bad. It is so bad. It's one of the worst things I've ever fucking seen in a movie. It's so lazy and so unreal and just so the hand of the author is so visible and it's not a good author it's the hackiest hack in the fucking hacksville it's such shit ah <laughs> like like i just ah i feel like every review of this movie like these movies are extremely well regarded and i just 
it's not okay, man. It's not okay. You cannot have shit like that happen. Man, you just can't. You just can't. Like, where's the critical eye? Where is the criticism? How is this shit ever going to stop? How is stuff ever going to be better if we all just accept this garbage and just act like that's okay? That is so fucking shitty. That is sub first draft. That is a joke draft. That's what you write into the script to make your friend laugh. That's not even a first draft idea. It's just a fucking big landslide out of nowhere that just is exactly the right width to kill. Oh, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it so much. Oh, this coffee is fucking freaking me out, man. But if action scenes suck, Action resolutions suck even worse, you know? You can't just have a scene from Sylvester Stallone's 1993 Tour de Force cliffhanger suddenly bust into your movie to deal with resolving a situation. <laughs> you know? Ugh. So my idea was, even if, even if everything else is the same, even if we just reached this scene, you would have to change Woody Harrelson's uh, speech a little bit. For this to work but say we're right at the end fucking Woody Harrelson's group has been taken out Caesar is looking down at the troops in the main force and what if he looked down at those troops and they were apes you know bring in some of that classic Planet of the Apes twist but not like the Tim Burton twist that made no fucking sense what if this whole time that Caesar's been in the woods and he's been doing his woods thing and thinking that he is the primary group of civilized apes, what if the other apes, unbeknownst to him, have just been taking over the whole fucking world? Because they have been and they will. That is the whole point. That's where we're getting to, the planet of the apes. I think that would have been so cool. That would have been such a cool twist and such an unexpected moment. And it would make sense. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, and then it just, it's, there'd be so much storytelling in that one moment because it would just say so much about what's been happening behind the scenes and what's been happening in the larger world and how the balance between ape and human is actually way more fucked up than we thought. The apes are way further ahead than we thought. Woody Harrelson's group they really are the end of the line. <laughs> they are it. Humankind is done for. What a cool little moment that would have been. And like I said before, like a great ending to me can make up for a lot. And I think that'd be a great ending. That'd be fucking awesome. That would leave, like, then you'd leave the theater thinking like, whoa, cool, holy shit. Man, that's cool. The apes are just fucking up everyone. Planet of the apes. Instead, an avalanche kills everyone, and then there's this schmaltzy scene where they're just on a mountain, and Caesar, I guess, is all beat up, and one of the other apes is just like, Caesar, your children will know of what you have done. You're so great. Blah, 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 Caesar. Oh, and Caesar dies, and then the credits, and then I sneer my fucking lips off my face. <laughs> there you go, Planet of the Apes. I fixed you. I fixed your shitty movie. Too late, unfortunately. You know, maybe I'll take, uh, I'll take this little segment, make a little breakout of it, put it on YouTube as like, how to fix war for the planet of the apes. <laughs> and you know, just leave it there like a little landmine. Most of the stuff that ends up on YouTube, you know, it's just uh, 
It's just the swamp. It's the garbage dump where everyone dumps everything. But every once in a while something catches on. It's kind of an interesting thing to like put up a YouTube video and then forget about it for two years and then realize that it's got like 18,000 views. And you're like, oh shit, that's weird. When did that happen? So maybe, uh, maybe no one will ever find this, but if they do, maybe it'll, uh, spur uh, YouTube nerd wars of like, fuck you, that movie is great. No, fuck you. <laughs> but I think it's so important not to give a fuck about other people and what they think. Not in all things. In life, that's a crazy way to live. If you're the mayor of a small town, I highly recommend that you take the opinions of your constituency into account. But as a writer, never, never, don't do it. Don't worry about this amorphous mass of people and what people might think or what people might want or what people might like. Cause fuck them, <laughs> you know? Particularly as a group, they're so dumb. They don't know anything. <laughs> That's just like such a great way to just fucking kill yourself before you've even started. And I mean, I think that's got to be how this keeps happening, particularly with movies. It's just such a, what's the word, populist medium. And I really think, and I have always felt this way, as I've said before, just like, if you make decisions based on, like, oh, I don't want to make other people mad, I don't want to step on their toes, I don't want to criticize War for the Planet of the Apes because what about all the people who like it? I don't want to make them mad. By making that decision, you're also doing the reverse of that, of denying and ignoring the people on the other side. Like to me, that avalanche ending, that is 100% unacceptable. <laughs> you know, that's, that is so bad that it goes down the scale. There's like, oh, that was good. Or just that you don't think about something at all. Or then below that is like, oh, that sucked, but whatever, that's fine. It's still a cool movie. I'm below that. I'm at, this is unacceptable. This is not an okay plot point. This is not an okay way to end your trilogy. This is the enemy. This is what not to do. This is a great shining beacon of the kind of writer not to be, the kind of decisions not to make. And I don't care about offending people that like that movie or like that plot point. I want to represent the people like me. I want to represent the people who hated it. That's who I represent. And I don't want to let down those people. The people that do see things similarly to how I do, the people that share opinions that I have, I want to represent them. And it might be a small minority. It might lead to a lot more hate than it does love. But those people need to be represented. They need someone to see them, you know? That's what I'm always looking for and always wanting to find is works of art or opinions or criticism that I can identify with that feels the way I do to Peter Frampton eyes. Oh shit, I'm down by 
the beach and the water is really high today and I'm precariously walking along a slick log whoa which is uh, got hard rocks on one side and gross kelpie rocks on the other side I could get really hurt if I fell off this whoa, let's do it and yeah it's uh, such a shame that there are so few positive examples to follow in life in all walks. That's another thing I've often felt like ever since I was a kid and I'd just be like, oh, I wish that like I had positive examples to follow. Instead, I have like reverse examples of like I can see how I would like to be and how I hope to become by looking at people and going well okay I don't want to be like that I don't want to be like that person and after a while you just you just accept that that's how it is that's how it's gonna be and that that's all right you can gain a lot from negative examples if that's all you got then that's all you got it's still up to you to be the light that you wish to see in the world and maybe it seems like a very uh, pedestrian kind of thing of like, oh, really, this is your example of making change in the world? Is complaining about movies? <laughs> but, but this is a writing podcast, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about writing. And yeah, if you do see examples of shit writing, beyond shit, atomically nuclear shit writing, like, you gotta bring it up. You gotta acknowledge it. You got to fight against it. You got to be like, this is what to never do. This is completely unacceptable. This is insane. So yeah, I just want to stand in. I want to represent those people who agree that this is not what to do. Shit, my brain is really walking. Walking across slick rocks is not a good way to, uh, do a podcast. It's very hard to focus on what I'm saying right now. But there's this, uh, I don't know, I guess it's one of these things too of just like, oh, don't be so negative. Don't be so negative all the time. And when it comes to like movie reviewing or just, I mean, I'm just talking about storytelling in general, writing in general. Movies are an easy go-to because they are the most popular, the most easily digestible, the most often discussed. But I really do think, to just put it simply, everything is garbage. <laughs> everything is so bad. It is so rare for me to see something that I like. And you'll get people that say like, well, don't be like that. Why do you want to be like that? Why do you want to be so negative? Why do you want to be so down on everything? And I don't want to be, <laughs> are you kidding? I cannot bring it up. You know, as I get older, I just more and more, I just don't bother watching movies and I just don't bring it up. But I don't see the value in lying about it. You know, if you really do feel like all this shit is just trash and it's just not worth the time and no one is putting their back into it and there's no deeper resonance to these things and there's no nourishment to be gleaned from them and there's just no point to this shit. Don't pretend that there is just so people around you will feel more comfortable. Fuck them. Fuck them, <laughs> these shitty movie-watching fucks. What's so 
scary about admitting how things are, you know? All right, so what if? What if movies are bad? What if video game writing is bad? What if novels are bad? What if TV shows are bad? What if 99.9% of all of this shit is bad? Because it is. It absolutely is. What is so bad about admitting that? What is so scary about putting yourself on that cliffside? Like, okay, here we are. Here we are, where we're acknowledging that this shit sucks. That this is not a credit to the human race, to the very human experience. Something fundamental about storytelling is fucked up. It's not working. It's bland, it's pointless, it's rote, it's mechanical. Okay, so now what? And I don't necessarily have an answer. That is the quest. That is what we need to find out. What is next? If this is all not working, then what? Then what do we do? How do we move on from there? And that's the journey. That's the quest. That's what we got to figure out. But you can't go on the journey. You can't make progress on this quest if you can't even acknowledge the reality of how things are, of the situation that we are in. If you just spend your whole life pretending that all these TV shows, whoa, shit, oh fuck. I slipped, but I'm okay. Ew, kelp. Although I bet that probably helped cushion my fall a little. If you can't acknowledge accept or even recognize that we're in a bad spot, that movies are bad, that TV shows are bad, that this is all just a bunch of trash leading nowhere, <laughs> then, whoa, <laughs> then, then what? I mean, that's why I'm out here on these rocks right now and not at home watching TV, because I bailed out. I'm like, how many times, how many times is the big new show going to happen? And everyone's talking about it. And it's a piece of shit that goes nowhere, you know? How many fucking times is that okay? Man, you know what? This is amazing. Even though I slipped and fell on the rocks, I spilled remarkably little of my McDonald's coffee. I'm like, I fell. I fell straight on my ass, man. That's quite amazing. I love this beach because it really feels like some fucking treasure island shit. Some monkey island shit. I was going to say, except they didn't have a coffee, but uh, in Monkey Island, they pretty much did. They had pop cans. Basically, though, coming at things from the uh, opinion that it is just blanketly not working. That on a pass-fail system, it's a hard fail. Big-time fail, as far as modern storytelling goes. I'm only on the very cusp of this journey of trying to figure out what that means and where to go next but it's kind of it's leading me back taking me back to the past where i'm reading a lot about tribal life and reading old legends and stuff and trying to figure out what storytelling was for 
because obviously a big problem is that our modern world is just a complete bizarre mockery of what the human experience is supposed to be that physiologically we are designed for a life that is not even remotely close to the life that we're leading and that seems to be very much reflected in our storytelling if our whole lives are just based on being pacified and just being fucking cows in a pen just watching the flickering lights that keep us sated you know if that's all storytelling is supposed to do that is what it's doing all right but it really doesn't work on me I'm not trying to act like oh I'm so cool I'm the big rebel it just honestly doesn't physiologically it doesn't I cannot sit there and watch I mean, an episode of a TV show is tough to get through. There are movies where it's like, I want to poke my fucking eyes out. Being trapped in a movie theater, unable to leave, just sitting there being subjected to this worthless fucking pablum. It's awful. These stories would not have passed muster back in the day. And it seems to be that storytelling back in the day it had a much different purpose. I should get into this more later. But its purpose was to fire you up for the next day, to make you feel like you have a sense of mastery over an extremely terrifying world that you in fact have no mastery over whatsoever. Any given day you could be killed, any day you could die. But these stories help you feel like you won't. They make you feel like a warrior. And if you do die, you're gonna go to some great heaven in the sky. And it's all designed to help you in the world. So when you're sitting around that campfire, you're not as scared of that darkness out there. And I think that is what storytelling is for. That's what it has always been for, and that's still what it's for. And that's what I want. I want someone to recognize this world that I'm in and I want them to contextualize it for me in a way that makes me more effective and more just happy to be here. And if a story doesn't do that, I don't know what it's for. I don't know. Because to just pass the time, to pacify, that is not fucking all right. Man, that's not, that's such a perversion of the whole fucking notion. And it's just repugnant to me. It's repellent that people are okay with that. That people marathon shows. What are you fucking doing? What are you doing? It's your only life. It's your only life. What are you doing? You know, you need someone to say that. You need someone to shake you. You need someone to slap some fucking sense into you. What are you fucking doing? And you're never gonna wake the fuck up if you just act like everything is good enough. You're just, it's never gonna happen. And maybe it's not meant to. Maybe the human race wouldn't even function if more people were more self-directed and self-aware. 
Maybe for us to work as an organism, maybe we do need 99.9% .9 of the people to just follow along. But that's not you. You're a fucking writer, my friend. Your job is to not be like that. Your job is to blaze a fucking trail. Your job is to fucking show people something, anything. It's up to you, but it has to be something. Otherwise, why are you here? What are you trying to do? For song of the day, that guy Jamie Lenman, who I played yesterday, that was one of his more subdued songs. In the spirit of today, let's play one of his less subdued songs. And let's all endeavor to wake up. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah,